Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. blessed again by you being here this morning. I mentioned a while ago that Sharon and I, after the service, are going to be heading, uh, going down to South Carolina and Louisiana, and, and I was telling Sharon this morning, I was, I was loading the, uh, the luggage in, into the back of the car, and I told Sharon, because, you know, I, I love to go. I, I love to travel. I love to go places and see things, but I love coming home. I love coming home. And I was loading luggage into the car this morning, and I told Sharon, I said, I'm ready to come home. <laughs> she said, you haven't left. And I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm already eager to, to get back home. And I, I told her, I said, look, don't, don't, don't you love where we live? Don't you love our church? Don't you love our church family? She said, not particularly. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. <clears throat> That is not what she said at all. <laughs> but we, we, do, we do love you, and, and it is true. They're, they're, every time we go somewhere, both of us at some point in time are ready to, uh, to be home. But we will, we will miss you, but again, look forward to being back. It's Easter Sunday. You see the question down here at the bottom? What is it all about? You might be here this morning and really not have an accurate idea of what Easter is really all about. Now, for a lot of people, Easter is about this, this next picture, the Easter bunny. For a lot of people in our country, that's what Easter is all about and nothing more. That would also include Easter, you guessed it, eggs. People are all about Easter eggs and decorating them and hiding them and finding them. And of course, what would Easter be without the Easter basket? For years, I got gold brick eggs on Easter Sunday morning, even after the kids were grown. That stopped a few years ago. But maybe that's something we could start back up again. Gold brick eggs, do they still make them? I haven't seen them. Who eats peeps? Who in their right mind would eat peeps? (laughs) Well, I know you would, Jamie, because you're not in your... And then, of course, you have this part of the Easter tradition, Easter clothes. And I've seen some kids around here in their new Easter clothes. And I'm not suggesting that that's... uh, wrong to celebrate Easter in those various ways, as long as you don't lose sight of what it's really all about. And that's our question today, Easter. What is Easter all about? And maybe you're here this morning and you're just not sure. To know what Easter is all about, you got to go back. you got to go back in time centuries, about 2,000 years ago. And you got to go back to a, a long time ago in a land far away, and that would be Jerusalem, where people talked differently, and of course they dressed differently at that time. 
And at that time, about 2,000 years ago, there was born into this world, a miraculous birth at that, a man named Jesus. And he was a good man. He was a very good man. In fact, there was no fault to be found in this man. He preached the love of God. He taught people God's principles. He taught people God's word. He performed miracles. Miracles that have been documented that we know really happened. He did things like giving sight to the blind, causing the deaf to be able to hear, making the lame to walk again. And his main mission, though, was to preach salvation to lost souls. He was a good man. In fact, you could say, and you would be entirely accurate to say, he was a perfect man. And yet, he was hated, particularly by the religious crowd of his day. Now, that's hard to believe that a religious crowd could hate such a good man, but that was the case 2,000 years ago. One of the reasons was they they didn't believe him. They, They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe what he taught. And the miracles that he did, they knew they were miracles, but they attributed them in many cases to Satan. They weren't attributing them to God, who he was in the flesh. They were attributing them to Satan. But probably the real reason they hated him so was that he was a threat to the religious leaders. He was a threat to their influence. They saw that people were tempted to follow him rather than them. So they trumped up these false allegations against him. And at that time, these religious leaders and the people of Israel were living under Roman rule. Rome had conquered them. Rome was in charge. But Rome really didn't care about these religious people or their issues. But yet, if they wanted to bring a man to trial, they had to go before the Roman magistrate. He was in charge. So they go before the Roman magistrate. They bring this good man, and they bring these trumped-up charges against him. And this Roman authority listens, and he sees There's no problem with this man. I I don't see any guilt in this man. So I guess you could say, he could say, let's make a deal. This was at the time of a big festival then, the Passover. And it was a customary at that time to release a prisoner. And so the Roman magistrate says, tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a choice. Here is Barabbas, who's a criminal, and here is Jesus. Which do you choose? You know who they chose? The criminal. And the people said, give us Barabbas, and Jesus' doom was settled right then and there. We pick up the story. I want you to follow with me. This is from Matthew's account. There's, there's various accounts of what happened. What happened is so true. People say, we, we need documented evidence of the fact that Jesus you know, was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again. Folks, we have all sorts of documented evidence. Matthew, who lived at that time, gives us this account. Matthew 27, verse number 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. This is the Roman magistrate. And when he had scourged Jesus, okay, he is found guilty, although he was not justifiably guilty. They scourged him. They took a whip with nine tails on it, with with metal embedded in the end, and they whipped him on his back. I mean, a horrible flogging, you could call it. I mean, and the loss of blood in and of itself would be terrible. So they scourged him and delivered him to be crucified. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, mind you, big thorns, they made a crown out of these thorns, they put it on his head. And no doubt now, not only bleeding from the rest of his body, he is now bleeding from his head. Think about the cruelty of men. Here is an innocent man about to be crucified. As if that isn't bad enough, these wicked soldiers are going to mock him. He hadn't done anything to them. He hadn't done anything to anybody. And mocking him by putting a crown of thorns on his head. And you can only imagine the pain from that. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. There's not too much more lower than somebody spitting on you in disgust and contempt. And again, this innocent man standing there, who had only preached love and forgiveness of sins, who had healed people and and cared for people and, and taught people the most important truths that they could ever hear in this world. They are mocking him. They're putting a crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled to bear his cross. They're taking him to the top of a hill. He's having to carry this cross. And as he's about to go up, no doubt he is so weak, they have to get another man to carry it for him. And when they come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. They laid him down on this cross. They drove nails through his hands and nails through his feet. They hung him up there naked before the whole world to die. What I have heard all my life is the most cruel form of death anybody could go through. A form of death. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. They're gambling for his clothes, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. This was prophesied. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness. As the Son of God is on that cross, there is darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was the Son of God. It was God's Son sent down to this earth. And they enjoyed perfect love and harmony as God the Son and God the Father. And now Jesus is on that cross. And he went there willingly. You notice he didn't fight. He he, he could have called, the the song says, 10,000 angels. He could have been set free, but he was there to die. That was the reason he came, to die for the sins of men. He had no sins of his own to die for. 
He died for your sins and my sins and everyone else's sins. That's how much he loved you. It says there in, in, in verse number, of, where am I? I'm, I'm lost now. Oh, 2745. Some of them that stood there, there we are. When they heard that, said, this man calls for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Verse number 49, the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. He died there on the cross. And when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. This man is a believer. And he went to Pilate, that's the Roman magistrate that I was telling you about a while ago that was overseeing all of this, and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed, or the grave. And the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Okay, that happened on Friday. Now here comes Sunday morning. And the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher, to the grave. These two women who were followers of Christ, they come there on this Sunday morning. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know what ye seek, Jesus, or I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. The most wonderful words the world has ever known. He's not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. You're here this morning and you're wondering, why did that happen? Why was that necessary to happen? Because it is a fact, it is a historical fact that this man was born that he lived, that he preached, he taught, he healed, he did miracles. That's a fact. It is a fact that he was, he was crucified. He was buried. It's a fact that on the third day, he arose from the grave. But why? We're learning what Easter is really all about. The why is what Easter is really all about. And I want to just, just take a couple minutes, let me explain it to you. Now you know what happened. Now let me explain to you why it happened. But when I explain to it, why, when I explain to you why it happened, you need to understand there's some bad news first for all of us, and there's some good news because what happened there two thousand years ago was for all of us. The bad news. Understand, he did this because the Bible said we're all sinners. Every single one of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin means to miss the mark. 
when we lie, when we lust, we gossip, we steal, then we have missed the mark that God has set for us. And suppose, suppose you and I were to each take a rock and we were to try to hit the North Pole. Okay, you may throw a lot further than I do. I may not throw near as far as you do, but the truth of the matter is we both miss the mark. And such is the case in our lives. The mark that God has set for us is righteousness and holiness. And we badly miss that mark. And when the Bible says that we all have sinned and come short, it means that we have come short of God's standards of of holiness and, and, and righteousness. Because He is holy and righteous, and He created us to be holy and righteous. When He created Adam and, Adam and Eve, He put them in a perfect environment. And everything was great. But the Bible says we are sinners. Nobody has to teach a baby to be bad. It just comes naturally. We're sinners. That's the bad news. And the bad news gets worse before it gets better. Because the Bible says the penalty for our sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Suppose you worked for me and I paid you $50. $50 would be your wages. That would be what you earned. That would be what you deserve. The Bible says what we have earned, what we deserve, because of our sin is death. The Bible talks about two different kinds of death, the first death and the second death. Death simply means separation. The first death is when we are separated, our soul is separated from our body. That's the first death. The second death is when our soul is separated from God for all eternity. And when people die in their sins, they are separated from God for all eternity in a horrible place called hell. And all of that is bad news. And you see, God has to do that because he's just. He's not going to let you and I sin and just get away with it. That would be unjust, and that's not who he is. Because we are sinners, it is just and right for us to be punished. And that punishment is separation from God. Separation from God for all eternity is hell. Now, that's the bad news this morning. Let's finish with good news this morning. The good news is that the Bible says Christ died for you. He paid your penalty so that you wouldn't have to pay it by being separated from him for all eternity. I love this verse. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think of it this way. Suppose, suppose you were in a hospital, and sadly dying of cancer. And I come to you and I say, let's take those cancer cells from your body and put them in my body. Now, if that were possible, then what would happen to me and what would happen to you? If you put them in my cancer cells, I would die, you would live. I would die in your place. And that's what Christ did. He didn't take cancer cells, but he took your sins. And he put them on him. He says... I will die for you. I will die in your place. And he did that on the cross. But on the third day, he arose. 
proving that he was who he said he was, proving that he could do what he said he could do. And that's the best news you could ever hear in your life, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you and to take your sins upon him so he could pay for them rather than you. And the Bible says also the good news. The Bible says you can be saved from paying for your sins through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Being saved, being saved from you having to pay for your sins in hell, being saved is a gift of God. Faith simply means that you're going to trust God. You're going to trust that he was who he said he, he was, and that he can save you from your sins, and you put your faith and trust in him. You must depend on him alone to forgive you and to give you eternal life. You put your trust in him. Just like when you sit down on a chair, you trust that that chair is going to hold you through no effort of your own. And so is the case with Jesus. You trust him through no effort of your own. And that, folks, gives you the forgiveness of sins. A lot of folks, sadly, are mistaken this day and age. They think, well, if I want to go to heaven, i got to earn it. i got to be good. i got to go to church. i got to be baptized. And all those things are commendable. But if that's true, then you're adding to what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient in and of itself. There's nothing to add to that. And when you trust him as your, as your Savior, that's what you're saying. You, you can be religious, you can be good, you can do all that, you can help the poor, but bottom line is, you must trust Jesus Christ alone. Just simply trust in Him to save you. So, as we conclude, what is Easter really all about? It's really not all about the Easter bunny, or the Easter eggs, or the Easter basket, or the clothes. All that's well and good if you have fun with that with your kids. But make sure you know what it's really all about. It is all about you and the cross. It is you and the cross. Easter is about Jesus Christ dying for you. And to have a home in heaven, he offers salvation from your sins, being saved from hell. He offers that as a free gift. So how can you trust Christ and receive him as your Savior? You say, I want to trust him this morning. I want to accept what he did for me. I understand there's nothing I can do to get myself to heaven. It's just his wonderful grace that provides it for me. The Bible says it is a gift. Well, what do you have to do to get a gift? You only receive it. Receive. How do you receive it? Romans 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Let me read that again. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that's just a simple prayer. The Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be 
Save. Save from what? Save from you paying for your sins after you die for all eternity in a horrible place called hell. Save from that, which is the bad news, to going to heaven in the presence of a holy, righteous, and loving God who loves you and who wants uh, you to spend eternity with him. By simply, as it says again, confessing with thy mouth. I'd like to give you that opportunity this morning to do just that. I was a young man when I did that. I simply prayed. I confessed with my mouth. I believed in my heart. And I told the Lord, I believe I am trusting you today. I became a born-again Christian. I didn't become a perfect person. I'm still not a perfect person. But I understood that if, if it depended on me to get to heaven, I was in a world of hurt. I could do good for a little while, but after a while I'd go back to being my old self, and I thought, man, I'm never going to get to heaven. And then somebody explained it to me. No, it's what Jesus did for you, and he gives it to you as a gift, and he forgives you of all your sins, the sins you've already done, the sins you may be committing today or the sins that you could commit in the future. They are all forgiven. You become a child of God. You become an heir to the throne. He is yours and you belong to Him. You become His child. And like any child, you can still mess up, but you're His child. I've got three children. They can all mess up, and they do. But they're still all three my children. And nothing can change that because they've been born to me. When you are born again, you are born to God. You are His child. And you can never be lost. You are his. And as a young man, I bowed my head and I prayed. It was that simple. It just made sense. It made sense. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want to give you that opportunity this morning, right there where you are. Bow your head right there and you can pray and you can trust Christ as your Savior. And have all your sins forgiven. And by the way, this is a one-time thing. You don't have to pray it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. No, when you become a child of God, you're his. You don't have to ask him again tomorrow, I want to be your child again. No, it's, it's a done deal. My children don't have to come to me and say, I want to be your child. You are my child. This is one thing that you do one time, like getting married. You say, I do to the Lord, and you're his. You say, Pastor, I would like to trust Christ this morning as my Savior. But I'm not real sure how to confess that with my mouth. I'm not really sure what to say. I'd be happy to help you. You can pray this prayer silently in your heart right now. And if you're sincere in your heart right now, God knows that. And you will become an adopted child of God with all of your sins forgiven. You'd like to pray that? You can pray it silently in your heart right now. You need somebody to help you with the words. Maybe you're not used to praying. I'll be happy to help you with the words. But they got to be from your heart. You've got to sincerely want to become a born-again child of God, a Christian this morning. If you want to do that, pray this silently in your heart this morning. Pray these words. Dear Jesus... I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to save my soul this morning. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to do one little thing. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you now or later. Nobody's looking around but me.
But if you prayed that simple little prayer from your heart, genuinely, honestly, and sincerely, I'd like for you to just raise your hand right now. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to bring anything to you or petition you later. You'd raise your hand. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.